Hi, I'm Melissa with Mix in Some Magic. I'm a Disney planning expert and I'm here to mix a little magic into your day. Each week I share Disney vacation planning tips, park strategies, and a little bit of Disney history sprinkled in. Of course, I like to include lots of Disney magic. Join me, let's mix in some magic. Welcome! How are you? Happy Thanksgiving! Happy week after Thanksgiving. I guess I shouldn't say Happy Thanksgiving anymore. It should be Happy Holidays, but I'm still kind of in the Thanksgiving mode, I guess. I still have leftover turkey stuffing pie in my fridge, so it still feels like Thanksgiving. Don't worry, we're not eating it anymore. I just have yet to clean out the fridge. We've all totally abandoned Thanksgiving food. We're not eating that anymore. Sick to death of it, but I have yet to clean out my fridge. But I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We had a really good time. Turkey was good. I made way too many pies. I don't know what I was thinking. Like Seriously, someone tell me next year that I don't need a whole pie for every person attending my Thanksgiving dinner because that's what I had. And it's a ridiculous amount of pie. So nobody needs that much pie. I need to write myself a note for next year because we had a lot. But we had a really good time. I did a tiny bit of um, Black Friday. I couldn't think of the word. Black Friday shopping after Thanksgiving by accident. Um, it was my daughter's birthday on Friday and she wanted to go to the mall to check some stuff out with her birthday money and I totally forgot it was Black Friday until we got to the mall and then it was very obvious that it was Black Friday. It was so crowded, but we ended up finding a few good things. So it was worth the trip to the crazy mall on Black Friday, although in the future, I think I'll just stay home in my cozy pajamas and do that kind of shopping from my computer. I have huge news. My Christmas decorations are up. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but oh, it feels so good. It's not even December and my Christmas decorations are up. So I feel like I'm winning. I had a little family meeting on Sunday. I'm like, listen, I need help here. I can't do this all by myself and it's stressing me out. And so everybody pulled together and we got Christmas decorations up and all the boxes put away. So we're really doing good things over here. <laughs> it makes me feel so happy to not have that hanging over my head because, I don't know, decorating is hard for me. I love it when the holiday decorations are up, but getting them there, finding the time to actually do it is hard. So thankfully, that part of Christmas is over and taken care of, and now I can just enjoy them, which is the very best part. There's really no Disney news that happened this week unless you call the fact that Bob Iger didn't make any changes to Disneyland, Disney World, if you call that news, which I guess some people would. So Bob Iger got replaced as the, not got replaced, he brought in to replace Bob Chapek as the Disney CEO and people have just been losing their minds talking about all the things that were going to change and how quickly he was going to swoop in and make these changes, and he has not made any changes. In fact, he has continued the hiring freeze, which was one of the changes people thought he would for sure do away with, and 
he is also continuing with the price increase for um, Disney Plus, the streaming service. So that was another change people were sure he would do away with, but he's continuing with those two things and there have been no other major announcements. He has said that he is is focused on making the streaming service more profitable, which is Disney Plus. So the parks are already profitable. I don't see him making many changes there in the near future, but streaming service is struggling a little bit. So that's where he's focusing his time and energy. So all those people who were thinking that, you know, Genie Plus was going to be done away with and reservations and all those things in the next little while, we might not see changes there for quite some time. So we'll just have to keep waiting and watching and see what happens, but I will definitely keep you updated. Today is a Once Upon a Time episode, and those are my very favorite episodes because I love the Disney parks, I love history of Disney, and I love deep diving into these attractions and sharing history and little known facts and fun facts and things you may not have noticed so that the next time you're at the parks, you'll have some things to look out for. And I just really enjoy putting these episodes together because it's a lot of fun for me. So today we are doing Once Upon a Time on It's a Small World. Super excited about it. I think it's going to be really fun. But first, I wanted to read a couple of reviews that I got on my podcast that I appreciate so much because podcast reviews are how people find me. It's the only way that I can really grow being a podcast is through reviews. So when I get a review, it really makes such a difference and I appreciate it so very much. So if you haven't left a review, please leave a review. It really helps me out. You can rate and review my podcast. Subscribing also is great so then you don't miss any episodes at all. And it helps people find me and can't say it enough, but I just really appreciate those of you who have left reviews. You're absolutely amazing and incredible. Okay, this review comes from TBC-3003. It says, great Disneyland tips. I love Melissa's IG account and her podcast has even more Disney tips and magic. Thank you so much for your review. I appreciate it. Here's another one from Panther Bay. They wrote, love listening every week. I listen to this podcast every week. I especially loved the episode about leaving your kids at home. As I was about to go on my first kid-free trip and Melissa had so many great tips. Oh, I hope your kid-free trip, kid trip was amazing. Oh, there's something special about a kid-free trip, I have to say. Thank you for reviews. I appreciate it so much. It really, I just, there's no other way to say it, but it really helps me out. I appreciate it. So as a way of saying thank you, I want to give away a $25 Disney gift card to anybody who will leave a review between now and Christmas. So if you haven't left a review yet, please leave a review. It would be awesome. And I will choose from the reviews that come in between now and Christmas and give a shout out to that person and then send you a $25 Disney gift card. You can use the gift card on your next visit to the Disney parks or you can use it online at Shop Disney, whatever works best for you. I get questions about dining reservations all the time. Dining reservations at Disneyland are kind of tricky, especially to get really good ones like Blue Bayou, Carnation Cafe, Lamplight Lounge. Those ones go really quickly 
And Disneyland is not always consistent about the time they drop reservations. So supposedly they drop them 60 days in advance, but that is not always the case. Sometimes they don't drop them until 50 days in advance or 55 or 58. And if you are not right on your laptop or phone, the minute they drop them to make reservations, those hard to get ones are really nearly impossible to score and it's frustrating. But I have found a service that I really love that has helped me score some awesome dining reservations called Mouse Dining. So they have a free version, which is awesome, where you tell them what reservations you're looking for and when, and then they will send you an email when those reservations become available. It's really awesome service and I've used it to get some great reservations in the past, but they have an even better option that's a paid service where they send you a text when that dining reservation that you're looking for opens up so you can jump on real quick and book it. It's amazing and it works really, really well. So if you're interested, if you've been having trouble getting dining reservations or you just want to make sure you get your favorite one or the one you've got your eye on, then I recommend checking out Mouse Dining. I will put a link to them in the show notes so you can check them out. Sign up whether you use the paid subscription or the free service. Whatever you end up doing, it's going to be great and it's really going to help you get those hard to find reservations at Disneyland. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about Once Upon a Time, It's a Small World. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Mixin' Some Magic. Don't forget about my partners at Getaway Today for all of your Disney vacation planning needs. They are amazing. Their prices are always the best and they have great deals on hotels. So if you are going to Disneyland ever, then you need to book through Getaway Today. I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Give them a call. Tell them what you're looking for. If you have any questions about hotels or tickets or anything like that, they are Disneyland experts. They can help you. They also book Disney World. They do Disney Cruises. They do Universal Studios. They do Legoland, SeaWorld. They do it all. And if you're heading to Disneyland and use my code MSM10, you can save an additional $10 on packages. Plus, you'll know that you're getting the best deal out there. So give them a try. For your next trip, they also have layaway plans, so if you're wanting to give the gift of Disneyland as a present this year, which is a great idea, then you can just pay the money down. You don't have to pay the whole thing up front. Have something to wrap up under the tree and tell your family about it on Christmas Day and then pay for it as you go along leading up to your trip. So that is a really great option and I know you're going to love them. So I'll put a link to them in the show notes. You can check them out. Once upon a time, it's a small world. This episode is actually a special request from one of my subscribers, Debbie, her grandchildren. 
Lily, age 7, Olivia, age 3, and Victoria, age 6 months, all love It's a Small World, and they also enjoy listening to my podcast. And so they requested this special episode, and I was really happy to create it for them. So here you go, ladies. I hope you enjoy it. Many people assume that It's a Small World was part of the original opening day attractions at Disneyland back in 1955, but this is actually not the case. What would you think if I told you that It's a Small World didn't open until 1964 and it didn't open up in California, it actually opened in New York City? Would that be surprising to you? Let me give you a little backstory. So back in the 1960s, Walt Disney really wanted to expand Disneyland. He wanted to explore new technologies and create new attractions, but he just didn't have the money. He still hadn't financially recovered from building Disneyland, and he didn't have the money to expand it. Well, there was also a man who was in a little bit of trouble named Robert Moses. He was in charge of the World Fair that would be taking place in the 1960s in New York City, and he had made a lot of changes and was kind of in trouble and needed some help. So he went to Walt Disney because he knew that Disney was this great visionary, and he knew he had great ideas, and he also knew that Disney didn't have the money to create any of his great ideas at the moment. Well, Robert Moses had a lot of sponsors who were ready to dish out a lot of cash for help with building pavilions and things like that at the World Fair. So he went to Disney and he said, help me out, come work with some of these sponsors and it will help you out. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And of course, this was great news for Walt Disney because this gave him the funding to explore these new technologies. It also gave him exposure. He could take like a little piece of Disney to New York City and have tons of people from all over the world be able to experience the magic of Disney. It just built his name, it built his brand, plus he got money to create these things that he'd been wanting to create. So he was pretty excited about it. So he signed up to create three attractions for the World Fair for three different sponsors. These three attractions were the Ford Magic Skyway, Carousel of Progress, and Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Now, did you notice that I didn't say It's a Small World? That's because that didn't happen quite yet. So Walt signed on to make these three attractions for three different companies, and he was so excited. He had his Imagineers going a million different directions, all creating new technologies. Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was going to feature President Lincoln, this human-like animatronic that was going to blow people's minds. Same with Carousel of Progress. They had these animatronics that were going to be a part of the attraction, plus this moving theater. And for the Ford Magic Skyway, they were creating kind of new technologies, moving attractions around, plus they wanted dinosaurs. So they were going to have dinosaurs that were also animatronics. It was a huge time for Disney and for the Imagineers. They were all incredibly busy. Well, 10 months before the World Fair was to begin, then Pepsi called up the Walt Disney Company and said, we want you to build us an attraction. Now, the executive who answered the phone was not Walt Disney. It was somebody else. And they said, no way. There is no possible way we can build you an attraction. We don't have time. Thanks anyway. Well, 
A few days later, at a party, Walt Disney ran into Joan Crawford. Now, Joan Crawford is this huge actress. She's very successful, and she happened to marry the CEO of the Pepsi-Cola company. And when her husband passed away, she was added to the board of directors. So she is a big wig over at the Pepsi-Cola company and she runs into Walt Disney at a party and she says, oh, it's really too bad that you weren't able to build my attraction. And Walt's a little confused. He's like, what do you mean I wasn't able to build your attraction? And she tells him the story, how she called and someone told her there was no possible way. And Walt finds out that she herself personally had called his office and one of his executives had not even run it by him, had just said no, which was actually probably a pretty smart move because they had 10 months at this point. There really wasn't time to build another attraction. But Walt Disney, being Walt Disney, he saw this as an opportunity to work with Pepsi, build another attraction that he couldn't afford, and he was really excited about the idea. So he told Joan Crawford, you know what? We're doing it. Walt was also really excited because he knew that all the profits from this attraction would go to UNICEF and that would help children all around the world. So he loved the idea. Now, Imagineers were already really stressed and pushed to the max with the other three World Fair projects they were working on. So when Walt told them that they had 10 months to add a boat ride that would incorporate children from around the world, they were a little concerned, understandably. Now, Imagineer Joe Fowler, he got pretty brave and he told Walt that it was a bad idea and that it was basically impossible. Well, Walt Disney did not like being told what to do with his company, and he told Joe that he's in charge of this enterprise and that he will decide what they will or will not be doing, and nobody else. And then the next morning, Walt came into work and told everyone that it was his name on the front gate, and he was in charge, and they were creating the ride. Well, lucky for Joe Fowler, he got to keep his job, and he was actually sent to meet with the Pepsi-Cola board about the attraction and finalizing details. And Joe Crawford, Joan Crawford, excuse me, really knew what she wanted and she loved Disney's idea about an attraction featuring children around the world, especially since proceeds were going to go to UNICEF. And in 10 minutes, they had finalized the Children of the World attraction. Now, by the time all of this had happened, all these things were decided, they had just nine months to create over 200 plus animatronic figures, a thousand feet of indoor river, boats, decoration, scenery, everything you see in It's a Small World, they had nine months at this point to create it for the World Fair. Now, to give you a little bit of um, kind of a reference point, it took them five years to create the new Star Wars Rise of the Resistance attraction from start to finish. So nine months is a big deal. And Haunted Mansion actually took over 10 years. But to be fair, most of the people who were working on the Haunted Mansion attraction got pulled to go work on It's a Small World. So that's probably the reason that it took longer than it should have. So all the Imagineers who weren't involved in something were assigned to It's a Small World. And lots of Imagineers who were already involved with something were pulled from their projects and assigned to Small World. 
Mary Blair was an artist and a storyteller, and she had worked on some other Disney attractions like Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, and she was asked to help with this attraction as well. So she came out of retirement just to help with the design of It's a Small World. So everything you see, the whimsical design and the colors and the children, they are all because of Mary Blair and her vision of what she thought It's a Small World attraction should be like. Originally, the idea would be for all the animatronic children to be singing their own national anthems. So you would get to hear all these national anthems as you floated past the different countries. But it was quickly uh, realized that these national anthems do not go together. And so when they tried out this idea of playing all these different national anthems, it was a disaster, like a complete mess. It was just too much going on. The songs didn't go together. There was no flow and it was a lot of chaos. So it did not fit the theme of the ride and they quickly realized that that was not going to work. So Walt Disney asked the Sherman brothers who had worked on a bunch of other Disney projects to create an anthem for this attraction, Children of the World. And the Sherman Brothers came up with the song, It's a Small World. Now, the song needed to be really simple because it needed to be able to be translated into lots of different languages. So they came up with something that had the ability to be, ability to be translated into different languages. And when Walt heard it, he loved it. And as soon as he heard the phrase, It's a Small World, after all, he decided that that would be the name of the attraction, and he loved it, and that is why we have It's a Small World today, because of the Sherman Brothers. Now, this song plays around the clock at Disneyland and at Disney World and at Disney Paris. All of the Disney theme parks have an It's a Small World attraction, and they all have this song playing in them. And so, because of that today, all of the attractions playing It's a Small World, it has been said that the song is playing constantly at all times, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, somewhere in the world that song is being played, which is kind of mind-boggling to think about. Robert Sherman said, since 1983, there has not been a moment when It's a Small World wasn't playing in at least two locations around the globe, which is pretty amazing. Now, something I found interesting is this song does not have a copyright. Almost every, probably actually every single Disney song has a copyright attached to it, but this one does not, so anyone can use it. That's why you'll hear it um, on music boxes or in different places that aren't Disney parks. So anyone is able to use this song, and it's kind of like a gift to the world from Disney. All right, so the attractions were all ready to go. They boxed them up in California. They shipped them to New York on big trucks. I can't even imagine the process. It must have been insane. And then they assembled it all over at the World Fair. And of course, all of Walt Disney's attractions there were an incredibly huge success and just a huge hit. But the number one attraction was It's a Small World. It was incredibly successful. There were over 10 million tickets sold. The tickets were 60 cents or 90 cents a piece during the two-ish years that it was part of the fair, and all of those proceeds went to UNICEF. So the World's Fair really opened up the doors for 
Disney to start creating different things with different technologies, specifically animatronics. So two years after the World Fair, then Pirates of the Caribbean opened using the animatronics and the boat flume system that was so popular in It's a Small World. They were able to use this technology and the things that they've learned from creating It's a Small World and the other animatronics from the World Fair to start creating new attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion, which was pretty awesome. Now, luckily for Walt Disney, when the World Fair ended, he got to bring the attractions back to Disneyland. So parts of all the attractions came back to Disneyland. He brought It's a Small World back. He brought Carousel of Progress back. That was at Disneyland in Anaheim for a few years, and then it ended up permanently at Walt Disney World. He brought back Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. You can find that on Main Street at Disneyland. And then he brought back parts of the Ford Magic Skyway. So he brought back the dinosaurs. You can actually find those at Disneyland currently when you ride the Disneyland Railroad. So the World Fair is over. They're getting ready to pack up everything again and ship it all back to Disneyland. And they realize that It's a Small World has been housed in the Pepsi Pavilion. So during the World's Fair, it was just the attraction, the inside parts of the attraction. It didn't have the famous facade from Disneyland that we know and love today. So they needed to build a facade for this attraction and Walt Disney of course wanted something spectacular so he asked Rolly Crump and one of his top Imagineers to partner with Mary Blair and create the facade for It's a Small World. Now they knew they wanted something whimsical, something fun just like the inside of the attraction. They also wanted it to represent countries throughout the world and Walt Disney wanted a clock. So at the center of the facade in Disneyland, there is a 30-foot clock. And every 15 minutes, it comes alive with music and dolls. The clock opens up and there's this little parade that happens that's pretty awesome. So take a moment. If you're there, you'll hear a little fanfare happen. And the doors to the clock tower will open and out will parade 24 different dolls from different countries representing the 24 hours of the day. Now pay attention to the facade of It's a Small World because there are some other little hidden details in there that are pretty cool. If you look closely, you'll see the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Eiffel Tower, and even the Taj Mahal. All the gold that you see on the facade of the building is actually real 22 karat gold leafing. Now, Disney did the math because they're good at that, and they realized that the fake gold leafing or fake gold paint was going to wear quickly, it was going to oxidize, it wasn't going to look good, and they were going to have to replace it constantly, and so it was actually cheaper for them to use real gold on the facade, so that's what they did. So when you're looking at it, you can wow your friends and family with the fact that it is actually real gold leafing. Now, they probably won't believe you but it is nonetheless true. Well, with the facade of the attraction ready to go and all of the pieces shipped back from New York City, It's a Small World was ready to reopen in Disneyland on May 28th of 1966 for the reopening ceremony or the opening ceremony because technically it was the first time it was opening at Disneyland. There was a huge parade. It was a big deal and 16 children 
from around the world were invited to the opening ceremony and they each brought a little jar of water from the sea or river or something from their native land and they poured it into the flumes of It's a Small World to represent unity and love around the world. Each doll in the attraction is the same size and shape and this was done on purpose to reinforce the theme of unity but each and every doll has their own props and costumes that represent their own countries. Imagineers went to great lengths to make sure that each and every outfit is authentic in design and material because they really wanted to get this right and they really wanted to accurately represent all the different lands of the world. The gardens around the facade of It's a Small World are pretty impressive. They are filled with these huge topiaries and they're pretty amazing. My favorite are the horse and the ostrich. So when you're there next time, check them out. They're pretty impressive. It actually takes more than five years to grow one. So every time I'm there, I'm always marveling at how they grow these topiaries. They're very amazing. And I kind of want one in my yard. What would I get? A horse? An ostrich? I don't know. I kind of want one though. They're so fun. Now, while you're in the attraction, you're going to hear over 300 dolls singing It's a Small World. And if you pay close attention, you'll be able to hear them sing it in several different languages. The languages used are different for each Disney park, but at Disneyland, they sing the song in English, Swedish, Japanese, Spanish, and Italian. If you pay close attention, you'll notice that in each room of the attraction, you will find a moon and a golden sun. This is part of the song, It's a Small World. They sing there is just one moon and one golden sun. So they put a golden sun and a moon in each and every room to represent the fact that we are all unified as one here on planet earth we're all looking at the same sky the same moon the same stars and the same sun in 2008 this beloved attraction was closed for 10 months for a major refurbishment it was time and so it was closed and they redid animatronics they redid the boats they redid the design they instead of being made out of fiberglass they made them out of a heavy duty plastic and they actually had to redo the water flumes to accommodate a new system with propulsions and they needed to add more water because they were starting to have problems with the old fiberglass boats bottoming out because because Americans today way more than Americans did back in the 1960s, believe it or not. <laughs> and so we were a lot heavier now and we were actually ruining the ride. So <laughs> I don't know why I find it funny. I just do. So that was part of the refurbishments. They changed the boat so they wouldn't bottom out. They added more water and changed the flumes. So now we can eat as many Mickey ice cream bars and churros as we want. We're going to be fine. They also added some Disney characters to the entire attraction that were actually really controversial when it first opened up in 2008. Some people were pretty upset about the new addition, but over the years, people have gotten over it and now they are a beloved part of the attraction. And I think 
they're really fun. They add a lot of fun, especially for kids when they can spot their favorite Disney characters along the way. We're going to talk about which characters you'll be able to find in a couple of minutes. This is a high capacity attraction, meaning that it can move a lot of people through very quickly, which is great because you don't want to wait in line forever. It's also the design of Pirates of the Caribbean for the same reason. The lines can move quickly because they can get a lot of people on and off these boats and onto the attraction, into the attraction, through the attraction. Yes, <laughs> quickly. Each boat has six rows and they can have 600 guests ride at the same time. So at any given minute, there can be 600 people riding on It's a Small World. It kind of boggles my mind. The attraction is 14 minutes long, which makes it ideal for riding when you need a break. You're going to get on quickly and then you can just relax for 14 whole minutes. I've seen people fall asleep on this ride. It's a great place for a nap, especially when it's hot because it is air conditioned and you can just sit back, relax for 14 whole minutes. The Seven Seaways Canal, which is what they call the flume with the water, has 500,000 gallons of water, which is absolutely crazy. And just this year, they added some dolls in wheelchairs, which is pretty great. In 1997, It's a Small World got its first holiday overlay, and it has become incredibly popular and maybe... Ooh, I don't know. Dare I say maybe the best holiday overlay at Disneyland? That would be competing with the Haunted Mansion, but the Haunted Mansion holiday is not my favorite version. So I don't know. It's up for debate, but it is a very popular holiday overlay. So the ride will close in mid-October for the holiday overlay to be applied, and then it will reopen when the holidays begin in early November. The, hall, the ride will close again mid-January to remove the overlay and usually will be closed for a couple of weeks. Now, if you haven't seen the facade of It's a Small World during the holidays, it is absolutely amazing. It has over a million lights. They put projections on it during the fireworks show. It snows outside of It's a Small World during the projections and it's absolutely gorgeous. I would recommend a visit to Disneyland during the holidays just to see this. It's very impressive. And I actually really enjoy the holiday version a little bit more than the regular version. The insides have more decorations. They've added garlands and lights and trees and all kinds of holiday things, but they've also added some scents, which I think is so fun. So when you're in Europe, you'll be able to smell peppermint and pine. When you're in South America, you can smell cinnamon. Over in Asia, you can smell cherry blossoms. And in the South Pacific, you can smell coconut. So it's really fun. You have to be paying close attention to really catch these scents because some of them are subtle. And I do think it depends on when your boat hits the room at what point because sometimes the smells are stronger than of the others so I think they just kind of puff out a little scent and if you catch it right then you can feel pretty lucky. I also love the different music that they blend in with It's a Small World during the holidays. So they combine the song with Jingle Bells and with Deck the Halls and they kind of blend it seamlessly together. They'll 
really just switch from one to the other. And I love it because you don't hear the same song for the entire 14 minutes. It's cycling between the three and I enjoy that. Another thing I love about It's a Small World Holiday is when you are in the area where you see Ariel, she's singing Jingle Shells, Jingle Shells. I just think it's the cutest detail. Plus, if you look closely, there is a shell in front of her with some dead fish on it and a little note that says for Santa. So Sweet Girl is leaving out fish for Santa and I love it. There is a rumor floating around about It's a Small World that I feel like I need to address. Um, it has been said that every night Disneyland turns off the music and they turn off the lights, but they leave the animatronics, the dolls, running and moving silently all night long. Now, people think this is a creepy rumor and I've seen more than one video on Instagram, TikTok, and even a couple of news articles that get their information from these TikTok videos saying that this is true. And it is absolutely not true. I've asked so many cast members if this is what happens and they all look at me like I'm crazy and they say, no, why would we leave the animatronics on all night? That makes no sense. Just a waste of power. And they have told me over and over again that they shut down everything every night. So if you hear that rumor, it is not true. They turn off everything all night long. There's no silent dolls moving around creepily in the dark. It doesn't happen. It's all turned off for the night. Let's go through each room that you will see when you're riding this attraction and talk about which Disney characters you might be able to spot along the way. When you first set sail, you will kind of go through a little welcome room. You'll see a little sign that said, the happiest cruise that ever sailed. It's pretty cute. And you'll keep going and you will head right in to Europe. So in Europe, there are several countries represented. Scandinavia, Switzerland, Germany, Denmark, France, England, Scotland, Ireland, Belgium, Holland, Spain, and Italy are all represented in Europe. When you're in Europe, if you keep your eyes open, you will be able to see Peter Pan, Tinkerbell, Alice in Wonderland, and the White Rabbit. You'll see those in the Great Britain section, and then as you keep going along, you'll get to France, where you'll see Cinderella, Gus, and Jacques from the movie Cinderella. You'll keep going along until you get to Italy, and then you'll be able to see Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket. After Europe, you will head into Asia. So in Asia, their countries that are represented are Israel, Indonesia, Bali, India, Arabia, Thailand, Greece, Russia, China, Japan, and Korea. So first thing in Asia, you will find Jasmine, Aladdin, Carpet, who is actually a Disney character, if you think about it, and Abu. You keep floating along until you hit China and you will see Mulan and Mushu. Then we float into the third scene, which is Africa. The countries represented in Africa are Egypt, South Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, and other African nations. While you're in Africa, you will be able to see Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa. 
So we keep floating along and next we will be in the fourth scene, which is South America. In South America, the countries that are represented are Argentina, Chile, Brazil, Central America, Mexico, and the South American rainforests. So in South America, you'll be able to see Donald, Jose, and Panchito. And then we keep floating along until we hit the fifth scene, which is the South Pacific. In the South Pacific, you will find Hawaii, Australia, South Pacific, Philippines, Tahiti, Polynesia, New Guinea, New Zealand, and the Easter Island represented. And you will be able to see Ariel, Flounder, and two of Ariel's sisters. I'm not sure which ones they are. You'll also find Nemo and Dory. And once we hit Hawaii, you'll be able to see Lilo and Stitch. Then after South Pacific, we kind of start floating towards the 16, which is the finale room. But before we get there, we head through a little bit of the United States. And in the United States, you will find Bullseye, Woody, and Jesse. So after you see those characters and you float past the United States, you're going to hit the finale room, which is... A huge scene that brings together all of the countries of the world. So there's representation from all the countries that we already went through, plus many other nations. They're all coming together. The whole room is done in white. All the dolls are wearing white. And it's just kind of a big finale where we're celebrating that it's a small world after all. And we're all human beings and peace on earth and goodwill towards men and all of that so it's a really great finale and ending to the ride but before you hit the end of the ride there is a goodbye room where they have signs saying goodbye from all different languages and I believe there are 22 languages represented in the final goodbye scene there are 32 Disney characters represented and if you can catch them all, spot every one of them, then that's pretty good. It's a little difficult to spot all of them on your first time riding, but if you have a few people looking out for them, you might be able to do it. Now, it has been said that on in the goodbye room, if you look closely, you can find an image of Charlie Brown, who is not a Disney character at all. But on a postcard, there's a big poster with a postcard on it. And on the postcard, there are images of little children. They just very simple images with a circle face. And the one in the middle has little wrinkles on his forehead and he looks just like Charlie Brown. So I'm not sure if this is actually supposed to be Charlie Brown, my guess would be no, it's just a coincidence that it looks like Charlie Brown, but it really does look like Charlie Brown. So see if you can spot Charlie Brown and 32 Disney characters on your next ride on It's a Small World. Well, that is all I've got for you about It's a Small World. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more, a little bit of the history behind this really impressive and cool attraction. I think sometimes it gets a little bit of a bad rap. People don't want to ride on it, but Disney has actually done a survey and one in four guests say that this attraction is a tradition with their family and they make sure they ride it every single time. So, 
even though it does get a bad rap sometimes, it's still an incredibly popular attraction. And I think, especially when you know the history behind it and the meaning and the amazing ingenuity that went into creating it, it just makes it even a little bit better. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really appreciate you being here. I think you're absolutely the best. Don't forget about my giveaway happening. Make sure you rate and review my podcast and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I will be back next week with something new. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon.